Hey everyone, I'm Avi Klein. I'm Sam Graham Felsen. And you're listening to Hey Man, the Advice Podcast for Men. This week, our guest is Jason Rogers. Jason is a former Olympic silver medalist with USA Fencing and author of an article about his struggles with performance anxiety and a forthcoming book about it too. Uh, Hope you enjoy. I I found out about you from your piece in Men's Health, Um, so I definitely want to talk about that, but maybe you could just let our listeners know a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm Jason Rogers. I'm, uh, I kind of have lived like two, like maybe going on three lives now. Um, the first being I was an athlete. I was an Olympic athlete in fencing and I competed at a couple of Olympic games. The first being in Athens in 2004 and the second in Beijing. Um, the first was, uh, I think it's probably fair to say a catastrophic failure and we can talk, we can talk about that. And then, you know, my second games, we were, you know, very blessed to win a silver medal, myself and three other teammates uh, in one of the fencing events. And um, after that, I went on to work kind of in the world of advertising. Now I'm working on a, a you know, sort of memoir-like object. Yeah. Um, but essentially, you know, it details my path to the Olympics while secretly, you know, struggling since a teenager with sexual performance anxiety and erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, it's something that that has kind of always, you know, been a part of me. And it's something that in recent years I've I've worked super hard to overcome. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that journey. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also something that I uh, have become really passionate about writing about and and talking about because I think it's something that men don't talk about enough. And um, I mean, I think in general, men need to, you know, share their emotions more openly and prevalently. And this is just one uh, tent pole issue. Yeah. I, I guess no pun intended, but <laughs> the biggest thing that like I, I, um, like wanted to ask you on this topic was like, how did you make the leap to, you know, first of all, like decide to write this book, put yourself out there in a way that, I mean, very, very few men, I mean, you know, there are men who, you know, their entire career, their therapists or their, you know, um, uh, sex uh experts or whatever who make this their life but you're somebody who had this profile as an athlete how did you um like how did you get to the place where you made this it must have felt like jumping off like Mm -hmm. a cliff you know like like surrender (laughs) yeah Yeah. well so i i think it's a combination of things first of all when i started writing it's not even really accurate to say this book when i started writing a book it was something else it was a book more about like like for a young fencer about how to become a better fencer um and when i kind of realized like i wasn't interested in that creative challenge it changed into a narrative about struggling with performance anxiety but specifically in the fencing domain and then at a certain point you know like you know when you just know in your gut that something is just like i'm like this is not it this is not the thing there was a moment I was in, I had just left London. My wife, my now wife, then fiance, uh, and I were at her parents' apartment in Stockholm. And, you know, it just sort of, she kind of was the initial nudge. She was, because we had obviously talked a lot about this. She was a significant part of my recovery. Um, and um, the, 
she kind of like was like, what if you maybe wrote about some of that stuff we talked about? And I was like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, but simultaneously, something else was happening that I think was maybe like the final piece of the puzzle that I needed both just to sort of like come to come full circle on, on my journey in that arena and then also to feel comfortable and like healed. And that was that I had in leaving London, I had switched doctors. Um, I'd started seeing uh, a doctor in California and we went and I went and sort of like did our, my first annual physical with him. And we started going through my medical history and, you know, blah, 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 cholesterol, et cetera, et cetera. And then he's like, anything else you want to talk about? I was like, well, you should know, like I, I'm in a pretty good place with this now. Cause I was in a, I would say I was like kind of 80% along the recovery journey at that point. Um, I was like, you know, I've struggled with this issue in the bedroom for years and years and years and it's better now, but, and it was really acute and bad, like in my twenties, but you know, it's always been there. And so he asked me some more kind of like medical questions and he was like, I think you should go see an endocrinologist and you should have this very specific um, MRI done. And he's like, cause you might have a tumor on your pituitary gland. Okay. And, um, I did and I do. (laughs) And so there was uh, like a, just a little, like what they call like a microadenoma on my pituitary, which was kind of messing with my hormone levels. And it had kind of gone, I had had my hormone levels looked at in my mid twenties at some point in time, but it never, they hadn't looked at the right hormone. And, uh, basically there's this complex interaction between all these sort of sex hormones and, um, he was like, yeah, that's probably at least some part of this whole thing. And luckily it was obviously not something to worry about from a health perspective, but he was like, you should start taking this medication. And I did. And it was like immediately something changed in me, um, both in terms of like sexual confidence, but also I noticed like behavioral changes. And this goes back to this sort of nice guy question mm-hmm. of like, like, I felt what were some may call kind of like masculine traits kind of like rising within me, like in these weird moments, I was like, Oh, I feel this way. And this is very strange. And I don't know what that is. Um, like what are, what's an example? Quick, quick to be irritated, you know, like quick to like snap at my fiance for something really stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, she, she remembers this more than I do, but like we were at our apartment, uh, this is maybe a year and a half ago, something like that. And some, solicitor came to the door trying to you know ask for money for some kind of local charity and like she opened the door and she's european and swedish and they have trust in everybody so she was like yeah sure i'll talk to you about whatever it was and i like just i remember like i kind of remember that she describes it to me more than than i remember it but i kind of like stepped in front of her and was like what do you want you know got very like uh defensive in a way that i have never known myself to be uh, of a partner or of anyone really and it was that sort of like protector role that I like I guess I just never I don't know it just never activated in that way it, where it was like this irrational need to like stand in front of my you know mm. my partner and, and protect her from this totally nice person who was asking a very <laughs> innocent and benign question um, uh, and so it's stuff like that that I think started to change but that process of going through that and it felt like that door just finally closed shut and i was like i can kind of put that thing in the past um that i was like okay here i am i'm i'm you know no one's ever fully healed but i'm healed to the extent that i feel comfortable that 
like I'm not like jinxing myself or, you know, I, I sort of was able to shed any superstition I had any around the topic. I was like, I know there are millions of other people that struggle with this. And this is the thing that scares the living shit out of me. And so therefore I should probably start writing about that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, like the, like what qualifies as healed or like, how do you, like how is healed? Like, you know, being able to get hard whenever you want, or is it something else for you? Well, I mean, so there's the physical component of it, which Mm -hmm. is more or less that I don't think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it like occasionally like stuff happens. Like every, I think every guy has had an experience, you know, struggling because they were had anxiety or they, you know, were just preoccupied or tired or had too much to drink or whatever. So that happens, but I would call it like, you know, it's, it's, it's returned to a lot, like a level where I'm like super comfortable with it. It's Mm -hmm. very rarely something that I worry about. Um, so to that extent, like healed to me means that it's not an, it's not, it doesn't present itself in other scenarios, meaning I'm not, if I'm made to feel insecure about something, let's say like a strange interaction between a person where they, you know, say something and it rubs me the wrong way. Like it used to be that 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 wound would pop open Mm. and I would feel the same feelings of shame that would come up when I had had an issue in the bedroom or I had sort of like a relationship had ended because of it or whatever. Now when that happens and I'm feeling insecure, it's just, I'm feeling insecure. It has nothing to do with that anymore. So it's the separation of, of it from my everyday life combined with the just the the degree to which it feels like this you know just like a a bead on the necklace of my life i don't i don't like have to it's just back there somewhere not not present anymore you know just just one um thing that i've been thinking about as as you've been um talking about this stuff is um just like how you know, it's it's like this punchline for late night comedians or whatever. It's um, you know, in you know all the high school movies, there's jokes about these things. And but but when you really think about it, like one of the hardest parts, I mean, I imagine is for 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 anyone who struggled with this is like the woman saying like, "What you don't you're you're not attracted to me?" Because there's this like layer of like guilt where you're like. That's not true, you know, but, but it must be so hard to convince the women, like, that's, that's not the case. It really is about, because, you know, like, most of the time when people break up with somebody and they're like, it's not about you, it's about me, that's bullshit, <laughs> right? But in this case, this totally is true to say it's not about you, it's about me. And, um, and I just feel like that, that aspect of it, like, the feeling of, like, not only um, feeling emasculated, but feeling like, like, like you hurt another person without even actually being like mean or doing something wrong, just like such a painful uh, thing. And I think that's why I'm like, you know, grateful that you're talking about this. Cause it, it must, there just must be so many men who are just like really in pain, struggling with this silently, you know, and really can't, you know, just feel embarrassed to say anything about it. Yeah. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Like it's, it's really isolating because as you pointed out, like oftentimes, even if a partner doesn't 
say it, you know, they're, they're feeling what you describe, which is that like, you know, and this goes back to their own issues and, and like, and a natural insecurity that I think everybody feels around not being enough or not being worthy of love and being desired. And so it's, it's like, what's strange about the issue is that it's, it's like two, when a man experiences this issue, not only is it like, like sticking a sword through his most, you know, raw parts, it that as a natural consequence is the same thing for for the woman yeah and so it's like you're you're at the you know <laughs> if there's a base of the you know you're at the base of level of the pyramid in terms of like the raw stuff that we struggle with and by the way i just want to say i shouldn't have gendered it i'm sure there are plenty of gay men who experience this with their male partners too and and the, their male partner feels hurt and doesn't understand as well so i just wanted to throw that out yeah. there but yeah Anyway, um, yeah, I'd be curious mm. if it might be easier to talk it through in a way and it be less personal than um, they feel like a particular like heterosexual uh, gender expectations. That I don't know. That's just a that's me opining about nothing. I, something I don't know nothing about. It's an interesting theory. If we have any gay <laughs> listeners, you should yeah. call in and, and let us know what you think. No, but I wonder if maybe maybe there's something to that. Just because at least if it's two men, like the odds are that at some point in your life this has happened to you so you can understand it you know what i mean well it's interesting because i so after i wrote the men's health article i did a an ama on reddit mm-hmm. and you know there were certainly people inquiring that stands for ask me anything where yeah, people could just literally ask you whatever they want exactly okay. exactly and and there were questions from 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 gay men that were like my partner you know i, I don't know how to deal with this i struggle with this he doesn't and it, there's but it, the issue is the same. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's it's you want your body to do something so that you can access intimacy between you and that other person. The intimacy is denied by it, and therefore your partner feels like like what the hell is it me? Right. And you reassure them, but no matter what, like like there's always some question mark in the air that it's very hard to get rid of. Yeah, I, I mean, another thing that just strikes me is just how frustrating it is when, especially if it's someone like you who's, um, you know, Olympic-level athlete, medal winner, who has, you know, been conditioned your whole life to solve problems through working hard, right? And it's like, and yet, the harder you work, you know, when you're having this problem, probably the more entrenched the problem gets. It's like one of these, like, it's so contrary to, you know, um, the way we problem-solve which is which is like trying to have more control and and the whole conundrum here is like how to give up control but one of the things i wanted to to ask about is like when when you're talking about seeing the doctor and um getting this diagnosis getting the scan getting the medication um i guess what i wonder is like there i assume that there are that there are plenty of people who don't necessarily have that physical um uh you know uh tumor what, what was it technically is it uh it was a it's just a small tumor a small tumor so actually i really want to address this so okay so, so that's what I, so you get what i'm getting at yeah. what about men who ju- it's just a purely psychological thing they have anxiety they can't let go um what about those guys like um like are they are they curable like um is there a way to just let go or is it something like i don't know i mean yeah well just before i talk about that i want to just make sure that i like am super clear about kind of my own journey because you're right when you, when you point this out, which is that like, 
there is a small medical component to my issue, but it was by no means the only thing that was going on. You know, for me, because it wasn't like there weren't abnormalities in my hormone levels that were so extreme that like it was it was impossible for me to have sex. That was not the case. And over those over the years, it was not like every sexual experience that I had was you know a quote unquote failed one. Um, you know, there were moments where you know, it, it was fine. There were moments where I used Viagra and it worked. There were moments when I used Viagra and it didn't work. And so what, what, when I think about my own personal journey, it was that something was probably a little funny. And, and by the way, the doctors have no idea whether or not this thing has existed, you know, since I went through puberty, because it may not have. But it, the way that I react, responded to the medication suggests that there was probably something going on. What it was was basically just like a, someone tapping the brakes a little bit on my sex drive, which created some bad formative experiences, which created a lot of basically that sort of like downward spiral of anxiety and sort of the self-fulfilling prophecy of, is it going to happen again? Oh my God, it's happening again. And so the way I think about it is that like the majority of what was going on with me was psychological, which is why I was able to basically kind of come to a point of recovery before finding out this stuff about my pituitary that I was like, okay, I'm pretty comfortable with, you know, my sex life. My wife's is happy and we're happy and, you know, it happens, you know, every now and again, but it's not that big of a deal. So I guess that all that is all of that is to say that like my healing process was primarily psychological. So for guys like that, you know, there are a lot of things that, that they can do. And I'm, Avi, I'm sure you might want to weigh in here at, at some point if you've seen patients that have struggled sure, with this yeah. issue. But, you know, a lot of it is, is in my view, is like literally the first starting point is, is about talking about it. Like just being open and honest with your partner or trusted friends or family members or professionals like Avi about it. Like that is literally like step number one because so much of, the problem comes from putting yourself in this like vacuum sealed chamber of shame where the shame just like you just become more and more the issue becomes more toxic for you and you you just can't see outside of it. It's like this fog around you and it becomes to like it infiltrates your entire life. So that's like something that like needs to happen regardless of whether it's psychological for a medical or a medical issue in the first place. Um, there's a lot of other things like meditation is really helpful. You know, there's a lot of like specific treatments that sex therapists use. There's one called sensate focus, which helps men kind of like put boundaries around what is and isn't going to happen with their intimate partner, um, still involving physical touch so that, so that they don't worry that they're going to have to like immediately get an erection, which causes stress and then causes the whole thing to kind of it's like mindfulness for sex. It's, it's, it's yeah. exactly what it so is. So like, for example, just, just like touching the other person's shoulder and like having that be the thing you do. Yeah, and like, well, and noticing, noticing like your experience of pleasure in being touched or in touching someone and without, yeah, without expectations or wherever it's going right. to go. And, is yeah. that literally like, um, like we're going to have a rule, like no touching private parts for 15 minutes? Yeah, I think or? that helps. Okay. Yeah, putting boundaries yeah. around okay. that helps people. Definitely. Uh, Everything you said uh, sounds like how I would work with someone, um, that it's really the shame about it. It's like the feeling on top of the experience, the meaning we're making out of it, 
that really needs um, addressing. And and shame is like uh, one of those things that leads us to isolate ourselves. So being vulnerability is the opposite of shame and, and opening up to people about this is what's going on. I once worked with a guy who had this problem and just talking, just sort of starting to name it um, with his girlfriend and just having the permission to allow it to happen basically um, that sex didn't have to stop just because that was happening. Um, it kind of resolved. I mean, it resolved in the sense that like whether it happened or not, he was still having sex. He changed his idea of what sex was, um, which I think you were getting to also in terms of like, what is intimacy, right? How do you have an intimate experience? And if that's the goal, then suddenly you have a lot more outcomes at your disposal that can be good or bad or, you know, by yeah. the way, I, I, um, you don't have to, um, answer this cause it may be too private, but I, I just imagine that like any man who struggles with this and then practices that kind of the sensate thing. Yeah. I imagine like the women all are like, Whoa, this is so much better <laughs> because of anything like most, most men, you know, when I hear from my, from my female friends, it's like, the issue is men just like wanting to go too fast yeah. and like being so focused on the end goal, yeah, yeah. you know, and having no ability to just like slow down and enjoy all of the other <laughs> aspects of the experience that don't have to do with that last second. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think this goes back to what you were saying about like trying to solve the problem by working harder. One of my key like paradigm shifts uh, was moving away from like thinking about like, having an orgasm with a partner as the goal, you know, as yeah. like the thing to be achieved, you know, there's an achievement focus. Like you think about like an athlete, that is like the, 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 the quintessential example of somebody who is achievement focused because there are very defined achieve like accolades that you can earn by leveling up over and over again. And so I just, that's just the way that I, you know, subconsciously thought about sex. And so one, I would like work harder when, you know, I struggled and that obviously is not a great approach. <laughs> and then two, like it was a failure if I didn't, you know, have an orgasm or and and in a lot of cases that was because, you know, we never the, the, the horse race never even started. And it's really important. And a lot of like sex therapists or psychologists would say, like, you know, penetrative sex is not the only type of sex. And there are so many other ways to explore intimacy using touch, using, you know, other senses. And that was like, that was a, during a certain part of my like recovery process that was really helpful to be able to be like, all right, something's not happening for me right now. So how do I shift my focus on the other person such that oftentimes what would happen is that the, the sort of the center of gravity would move and then like by taking that would lift the pressure off me and then and then things would start happening yeah it's crazy just just um i haven't thought about this stuff in so long but um just thinking about how men experience losing their virginity and about like mm. what a different world it would be if like a man could be like oh i just lost my virginity with that woman even though we didn't have penetrative sex you know <laughs> what i mean like i just had sex and that was great without having to have penetrative sex. But yeah. but we're we're trained, and you know maybe like I feel like millennials are like much more evolved and woke than our generation was. I think we're all in our mid to late thirties. Or how old are you, Jason? Thirty six. Okay, yeah. so we're all the same yeah. age. Um, uh, but definitely like 
you know, and I, I grew up in a educated, sophisticated, relatively sophisticated city, but like definitely the culture was exactly the same as American Pie, which is like, are you going to pop that cherry? Like, when are you gonna? <laughs> you know, it was like all and 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 um, I mean, for me at least, it created like tremendous anxiety about losing my virginity. I think, and I think, uh, you know, in in popular culture, there's just like this idea that like women are scared to lose their virginity, but men aren't, you know, men are right. just like, can't wait, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm actually, I'm working with an organization that, that makes sex education videos for, for kids like age 10 to 14. And we're like the, the concept of the video that we're working on is essentially like kind of addressing the problem you're describing, which is that like, you know, there's a lot of talk around like, like how, like what the the experience of losing your virginity for a woman will be like or for a young girl will be like but for young boys like they're expected to be something perform in a certain way and you know it's it's about easing the tension of like being like you know what it's cool if you're like scared it's cool you know if you don't want to have sex that's also cool you know because a lot of times like and i felt this certainly when i was you know a teenager or, or sort of going through those puberty years is that you know i was so hesitant that you know I, I felt this like strong pressure around me to to be like other people you know to to or at least be the way they described themselves to be and i think the more that we can disabuse people of that notion or get kids to not think that way like the healthier those initial formative experiences are going to be and the better ideas and the better like uh like a like just overall psychological understanding and approach to sex you know as kids grow up will will be better totally i it makes me the kind of like analogous thing in my mind is like like you're talking about sport and um you know that flow state and with sex like pleasure is like what feels good is is intensely personal right and if it seems like the opposite from performance allowing yourself if you can just listen to your body, how do I like this? Do I like it or not? And what's happening? It's a, it seems like such a better way to approach your your sexual encounters and your sexuality than like, what do I have to be doing right now? Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it's about openness. Mm -hmm. And and we're using kind of different terminology yeah. to kind of address, talk around or sort of try and approximate one thing, but it, openness, vulnerability, letting go, et cetera, all of that is is like the essence of like what intimacy and sexual and pleasure, you know, are where the root are. Yeah. And the more that you contrive, you know, w what you, like the more contrived the way you think about it is, the more your approach is modeled off of other people rather than what's natural for you. Like the less likely you are to, to, to grab hold of that rope and like just ride wherever it's going to go. We uh, got to, I think we can, should get to the question, but go ahead. Can I ask, this is for you, Avi. Like, oh. th this this is then definitely go ahead. This is a heavy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a heavy question, and maybe you know, too too pop psychology. But like something I've been thinking about as we've been having this conversation is like, I mean, you've written in the New York Times and elsewhere about men in in the Me Too era, and um, you know about some of the struggles some of your clients have had around feelings of shame around some of the ways they've treated women. And I wonder, like, do you, is it too much to, to make, like, a link between the fact that there are probably so many men who feel anxiety about sexual performance um, and this epidemic that we have of men um, abusing women? Because it seems to me, like, what those two things having, in, the link I'm making in my head is, like, 
men who abuse women are about control. They're, they're not about losing control. They're about control. They're mm-hmm. about having all the power and forcing yeah. the woman to do what they want. Yeah. And is that like, is that in some horrible, perverse, twisted way, just their way of, uh, you know, um, solving this problem of, uh, feeling anxiety about letting go well yeah i guess it would be it's control uh, among other things is a defense against shame right so it's like to stay in control so you never feel shame you never feel because you associate shame with weakness and and vulnerability with weakness um so i think that that's one of the links the other link that's related to all of this it's also vulnerable is like i think a lot of those men even though they're these are like in a way that it's uh sexual abuse sexual coercion i think that they're not in touch with their sexuality i think that they they have ideas about who they should be but if they were more connected to what they enjoyed and could kind of allow that to be true then they wouldn't it wouldn't be sort of like leaking out in these creepy ways yeah um okay hey man i know the premise of this question might sound overly pessimistic but i feel like i wasted my life I'm 40 and have a job that pays six figures that anyone would consider good and enviable. I've worked steadily towards my career, taking a break only to get an MBA, and I'm now in a top position at my company. I feel proud about where I've gotten myself professionally. The problem is that I'm currently engaged to a woman who is my first long-term relationship and I'm having serious doubts. I've been focused on my career and haven't been able to sustain a serious relationship. When I met my fiance, things felt good, but they tapered off about a year into the relationship. And it's now been four more years. I do love her as a person, but I just don't know if I want to be with her. Part of the problem is that my job is so demanding, I easily get distracted and forget about how unhappy I am with the relationship. One of the reasons I think I don't want to stay in this relationship is because I think I've grown and changed a lot since we first met. I got in better shape. I got more confident as a result of big moves in my career. I often think I could do better if I was out on the market right now. Part of the reason this sticks in my mind is because I was shy and insecure earlier in my adulthood. I figured out a lot of stuff, and I feel like I'm not living up to my potential. I regret not dating more and not realizing some of the things I realize now. Couldn't I be happier? Don't I deserve to find that out? Signed, tired of wasting my time. That's a very brutally honest question. Uh Whoever that is, thank you for that. I mean, I think that like just acknowledging that even on paper anonymously or maybe it's not anonymous, but like like sharing those types of feelings like is like that's that's so important. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's hard to acknowledge that you might be thinking some of these things like we don't want to be necessarily admit that we're the type of person that's thinking this. And I think that it's uh, courageous to be honest in this way, you know, Um, because you're saying like there's something when I read I could do better towards someone that you're engaged to like that's harsh and uh i think it it takes guts in a way to admit that you're being pretty harsh yeah you know like i get like i'm gonna try and tackle this maybe not from the perspective of advice but from the perspective of like personal experience we love that perspective um and and my let me just think about kind of where i want to start this which is that oftentimes with my wife and I, for example, uh, when I am most critical of her is when I'm being most critical of myself. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Me three. Me three. <laughs> so, you know, in other words, like, uh, so I, I'm, I like 
am an Olympic athlete, right? So I, I grew up doing sports from age 11, pretty much. And like, so as a result, I have a very specific approach to like sports and fitness. And it's like a very integrated part of my life. My wife is less interested in those things. And as a result, like we occasionally kind of have a, a thing kind of around like fitness and working out and, you know, that kind of like those types of healthy habits. And it's something that like always pokes at both of us. And I notice that when I'm most critical of her are the moments that I am chastising myself for not meeting my own expectations, which she often rightly points out are, you know, a, a bit extreme. <laughs> and um, so I would ask this guy, there may be some truth to what he's saying, which is that, you know, he, he, Maybe there is somebody else out there that's right for him, but to what extent is his are his critiques and his feelings that the person that he's with are not right for him come from a lack of acceptance around one or more aspects of himself? I think I think your instincts are. I I have similar thoughts, and and to me, when I was reading this, I was like, I think one way that I'm thinking about this question is like as a question about regret, right? Like. This guy has done so much in his life and he's looking back at the time that he, like he says, tired of wasting my time, right? That's how he signed it. That as if like everything before this was a waste of time, which is such a harsh way to be with your life. Um, that there's, I don't know, that's where my head is going. That there's some something about wishing you, things had been different for you earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um- the first thing that popped out to me was just the fact that he said he's wasted his life mm-hmm. and he's only 40, Right. which if he's in decent shape, like that's not old at all. And maybe I'm just telling myself that cause I'm almost 40, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but also, yeah, I mean, clearly just, just, just a little bit of, um, tough, tough love reality. He hasn't wasted, you haven't wasted your life. You know, um, you're, uh, you're, you're at least in a place where you feel proud of yourself and you know uh so so no matter what's happened up to now like it's not been a waste but right like like did you uh, think you were supposed to be this person like 10 years ago right. 20 years like what what were your expectations around that but um but i just want to um say because i i would i'm totally on the same page with you jason and avi that i um when we get questions like this i always go to the place of like wondering um you know, if, if this guy just, you know, figured out what some of his own, the sources of his own unhappiness were, um, he might realize that his problems with his fiance are much more about his problems with himself. Mm -hmm. And then he might ease up on her and also realize that like, she's a lot more complex and interesting and amazing that he was giving her credit for and yada, yada, yada. But I just want to say like, I got an email from one of my friends (laughs) And I was thinking about it as, as, as we were talking about this question um, where he was like, you know, you guys always like do this thing where you like make it about like the man's psychological <laughs> issue. And like, what if this girl just sucks yeah. and like he, and he's correct. And like, he just needs to break up with her. Cause, cause she's like, I mean, sucks is too harsh. <laughs> what if she's just not right for him? And it's like, and, uh, and some like, why can't you and Avi just like, just like, 
take something at face value for once and yeah. just say like, okay, if you're not happy, just break up with the woman. You, yeah. Um, but I, so I'm just throwing yeah. that out. You are absolutely allowed to dump your fiance <laughs> and you could go through a string of relationships, uh, looking for the next person who's going to be, yes. make you happy. What I will say yeah. is that the, the, um, tying to back to what Jason was talking about earlier with the, uh, that kind of hamster wheel mentality of like, okay, well, I achieved this status as a college athlete. Now I have to be an Olympian. Now I have to win a medal. Like, if you have the mentality that, like, you could be happier, yeah. you will never get married. Yeah, I think that's the point. I think the other thing that I, I've found interesting about this question is, again, like, speaking from my own experience or maybe what I can empathize on some level with with him is that, like, like my healing process, you know, in terms of struggling with these, like, issues occurred in other relate like partially in in relationships that I had up up until the point where I met my now wife but a lot of it was with her and certainly that kind of what we talked about earlier that closing of the door that letting go has happened in our relationship in the lifetime of our relationship so there is always like that monkey thought in my mind that's like you know if like now that I'm like again I'm using air quotes you can't see yeah. but like now that I'm healed you know, what would dating be like? Like, oh, my, you know, I have friends that are like, you know, master Tinderers. And uh, like, right. what would, what would life, I imagine life <gasps> as the person that I feel like now that I never felt like before when I did experience, you know, when I was dating more or when I was like, you know, using Tinder or whatever, you know, there's that, there's that longing to sort of see, put yourself to the test in a new environment. And so, you know, but I'm married, obviously, so yeah. I'm not going to do any of those things. But there is that kind of like, what if? Yeah. And I think being in a happy relationship is about understanding that those thoughts are natural. And, you know, you can be attracted to other people. You can, you know, you can want something else occasionally, you know, and as long as you understand that, like, that is just part of being a human being and it's a, it's an expression of your sexuality and you know, kind of just who you are as long as you're not acting on those things. And as long as you're not being dishonest to a point where uh, it could come in between you and your partner in a meaningful way, like that's, that's, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Oh, go ahead. If you yeah. have a quick, yeah. uh, well, here's what I was going to say. Okay. Not only, not only do I think it's normal, but like I, I encounter, it's mostly dudes that that come up that have this particular kind of formulation of like, could I do better? I think the women I'm thinking of think about it slightly differently, but um, I think that that fantasy of like, what would life if I got back on Tinder or whatever? Like, I kind of encourage people let your let your imagination run wild with that because it's going to tell you something about the insecurity inside. You know, whatever you imagine yourself getting, that's the what it's whatever part of the story it's going to fix right that's good information to have so allow yourself to think about that when i hear him say do better i mean first of all the thought that pops up for me is like because he's talking about how he's in better shape now like what does he mean he wants like a woman who you know looks like a cover model like does he want does he want a woman that like other men think is a 10 and is really hot right like do better in whose eyes yeah does he want uh you know a woman who uh I mean, he he's not specific about it, but 
like it would be more interesting um it would be not more inter- it would be interesting to find out like what specifically is lacking in 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 his impression of his current partner of his fiance is it that he thinks that she's not um uh challenging him enough i mean that's a common complaint i hear from from friends who want to get out of a relationship that the that the woman they're with is uh too passive and not pushing them to be whatever and and <clears throat> so i'll just run with that for a second mm-hmm. what i say to my friends who come with that complaint is um because because i would i would prefer for i'm often friends with the partners of these friends too and i would prefer for them to stay together <laughs> so what i usually say is that like um you know uh like just because she's not quote unquote challenging you right now doesn't mean that she's not capable of challenging you you know what i mean and um like and and if you work through and like express to her like hey i wish you would challenge me more like it's not going to change overnight but i think like there's a remarkable degree of um metamorphosis that can happen you know, within one, within the span of one person's life. And, and, uh, and the same can be said for a relationship. And I, I mean, I just think about like how different I am today than I was a year ago and, um, like how surprised I would be if I had like a, you know, a looking glass or whatever it could see like, Oh, that's how you turned out. Like in some ways, in a lot of ways I'd be happy in some ways I'd be like, really, that's what you're doing. Like, <laughs> Uh, but, um, but, but the point is that I feel like I, I go through big changes in my life and, and I've seen how much, like how surprising I can be to myself. And, and that's just given me like actually a lot of confidence in, in the institution of marriage, because I feel like, um, I mean, I'm a human, obviously I struggle with every married person I know struggles with marriage It is difficult. So that's what he should know. First of all, I'm not going to like badger him uh or goad him into getting married because i don't think marriage is for everyone um but uh but but you know and i've struggled with marriage but i think the thing that i find most exciting about marriage is that like people are infinite people are infinite there's so much in one person and like i think i know my wife but like i don't know my wife i really don't i and every time i'm arrogant enough to think that i know everything about her she starts surprising me and um, when I really pay attention and I'm really, when I'm really open-minded to her and when I'm not stuck in my own judging of her and we're, when we're not fighting. And it just, I don't know, to me it gives me, like, it, it, like I'm trying to figure out a way to say this that doesn't sound like holier than thou or like I'm preaching monogamy, but I wish some of my friends who are scared of monogamy because they think it's going to be boring um, or because they think, like, they're just going to get sick of their wife and have that, is there something better out there, could understand that, like, if you're really open like and and your partner feels that openness and and is open too like being with one person is as diverse of an experience as being with like a thousand you know what i mean i yeah i think maybe another way and i'm curious to hear your thoughts too jason but one one way i might put that is it's like um you can you can convince yourself that life will be different with someone else right but you're you're going to be the common factor all the way and that actually there's you just in the way you might be fantasizing about like a rich varied life with like 
lots of different partners that you can um, you can be a different person and you can encounter your your spouse in different ways over time, right? That that's there's depth there that you might be forgetting about or missing. So much of like, and I see it a little bit in this question, and I but I I don't want to pick on this guy too much because I think it's a very I think it's a very relatable very question. Relatable actually. question um, that most people experience in relationships, like, but when we learn so much about from from watching other people's behaviors, or at the very least, the way they talk about, they reflect on or talk about the behaviors that you, that you don't see, and I think a lot of, at least when I was talking about before, like when I imagine that life a different life without my wife where I'm tindering up a storm, I'm rocking up to, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't even, <laughs> it's not even go there. But, um, or, you know, in the case of this guy, like a, another partner, you know, uh, that maybe she looks differently and it's a way that his friends are going to give him that wink, nod, elbow, that's sort good of like, you. good for you kind of thing. Like so much of that, motivation or that idea in your mind of of what that life is is not what's actually what you want it's what you think you should want based on the assimilation of all these cues that you've learned from other men or other women i know that is so hard to figure out totally i'm still it's very i still it's like a lifelong process i think of like what do i really want and what do i want that's going to make people like me or be impressed by me or whatever, what I'm just supposed to want. I've said this before on the show, but um, when I was in, in therapy, <clears throat> my therapist just once asked me, what do you want? And I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, what do you want? I was like, what is this? Some kind of, you know, Jedi, like Zen koan question. I like literally couldn't answer it because she prompted me to realize that like so much of what I thought I wanted was just what I thought would make my colleagues or friends or parents, you know, think better of me. And like, I, I, I really had so little idea of like what I was just naturally drawn to. And that, that's a whole complicated philosophical, philosophical question that we can't get into here. Yeah. What is it even, how do you even know what you're naturally drawn to? Because so much of what we're drawn to is socially conditioned. But um, I don't have any investment in this guy's monogamy or anything like that. But I will say, having had this conversation with many patients of mine, that Sometimes I'll ask them, so like, have, have you shared any of this with your partner? And it's like, oh, all of a sudden, they haven't. They've just paid me for many, many hours to complain about their, their soon-to-be spouse, but they haven't shared any of it with them, and, uh, which is making me think of vulnerability and things like that. And so that would be, um, to answer um, the email that you got, it's like, you don't, you don't know what the problem is here. It could be lots of different things. But until you talk about it, like, what would it actually be like, for example, to say, I've been feeling le- like unsatisfied in our relationship lately, like period, like let that sit there and you could, the two of you could like look at what's that like for them to hear that? You know what I mean? Absolutely. I was going to, I'm glad you brought that up because I think, you know, my, my wife and I have had some of those come to Jesus conversations um, and it, I think you're you're right to point out that a lot of men who have a tendency to maroon themselves on the island of their you know their their one at least a portion of their brain um, don't do a good job of expressing their discontent towards 
people where intimacy is involved because they'll tell some guy in the street he's an asshole but they won't right. tell their partner like you know what there's something not right so like for me like the first step for this guy and, and maybe he's already done this and he's still ruminating about these issues but is to sit down and have a conversation with her that doesn't necessarily approach it in the most painful way which is like where the subtext or the explicit statement is I don't know if you're right for me where it's more about what do you want in your life how are you feeling about our relationship what are the things that you want to feel that you aren't feeling what are the things that you are feeling that you're really grateful that you're feeling and just sort of like taking the catalog of things from there because that will spark so many it will release a lot of that stuff for him because some sometimes at least in my personal case like some of this is not about, it's not actually about dealing with whatever it is that's swirling within me. It's just about releasing it. And that's often enough to just be like, oh, that thing that I was so like wound up about, like I'm not thinking about that anymore. And why is that? It's because I released that emotion and my partner heard me and I wasn't judged for it and she was okay and we're just moving on. Yeah, I, I think sometimes doing that, um, it's not just releasing it, but like, you're really, you're much closer to that person, you know, like they know you better now and that feels good. And maybe that, maybe that was missing, you know, you've been keeping all of this stuff inside and then you get to share it and they know you and accept you for it. And isn't that why we're in relationships, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. I think conflict initially obviously stands as an obstacle to intimacy, but yeah. conflict also is, can create intimacy because yeah. it, without and, and again, I'm using context conflict in a very particular way. And what I mean by that is saying things that are that are honest but uncomfortable, um, which creates friction. So maybe it's friction is a better word. But that person can never know you in that way unless you share it. Jason, we we like to um, wrap up our uh, podcast by asking our guests for just a piece of advice that um, has stuck with you throughout your life or, or maybe just recently, but something that you really find to be just like wisdom that, um, has proved really helpful to you. So we're wondering if you have something that, like that you want to share. Yeah. I, I, there's kind of two things that I, when I was thinking about this and, and I don't know that I can really attribute these to a specific person or a specific place, but one is something that I use on a regular basis and one is something I use occasionally like with like really big decisions. The first one is just like around kind of like, cause I mentioned like I am not a chill dude. Um, and I get really nervous around like, like when I have, when I'm put in a certain kind or certain kinds of scenarios, for example, like when you put a microphone and a bunch of people in front of me, like I do my body and my nervous system do not like that. Um, but one of the most important sort of like psychological tricks that I learned throughout the process of dealing with that kind of performance anxiety is that like oftentimes the, the key like difference in the, in, in the, how that sort of energy manifests itself in your body and how it like channels into your performance is about how you think about it. In other words, when I was in a place where it would come up like before a big tournament, before the Olympics, and I framed it in a way that was like, oh my God, I got, here comes that nerves, like, oh, it's it means I'm going to fail. Like, oh, that's when you screw things up. 
And when you reframe that to be like, actually that energy is something that is what will propel me to a level of performance beyond what I'm capable of on a day-to-day basis, that's when it becomes really, you're, you're like harnessing the power of something instead of letting it run amok, you know, in your mind and screw up the whole thing that, that the whole process that you've trained yourself to do. Like, this is good. I care. Like I'm hyped. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Like if I'm not nervous, like what you really should be thinking is like, if I'm not feeling nervous, like that's a, that's problematic. Yeah. You know, because people get nervous all the time and especially when you're doing something important. And so that's something I always like kind of try and remind myself before I have to go do a speaking engagement before when I was doing client work you know, my sort of work life before this, like that's how I would, that's how I would always frame it up for myself. The second thing is, and I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, like when you were asking me about when I decided that I was going to write this book. And that is like one of the ways that I like, I I often think of myself as a very kind of like normative guy, you know, in the sense that like, I don't want to like go outside the boundaries and the lines, but at the end of the day, like I also have made really unorthodox decisions in my life. One pursuing sport, you know, my college decision was a very unorthodox one. Um, you know, and now this decision to write this book is also pretty unorthodox. You know, a lot of, I think my colleagues in my former advertising work life are a bit like, Hmm, what are you doing there, bro? (laughs) And, but at the end of the day, like the reason that I was so drawn to it was that it scared me so much. And so I think a lot of times like we avoid fear and when fear is like one of the most important signals that something is going to challenge you in a way that will create real growth in your life. And I think growth is ultimately like one of the most satisfying things that, that you can seek and, and often like a major contributor to your overall level of happiness. Awesome. And where can people find you or, and stay in touch with you, all of that? Yeah. So I'm Jason Rogers USA on Twitter and Instagram. I guess it's a leftover from my Olympic fencing years. <laughs> um, and then my website is jasonrogers.co. And I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks, but I'm working pretty hard on like a sort of like a resource guide for men that nice. struggle with this issue. I've had a bunch of conversations with, you know, sex therapists and psychologists and yeah, like I've gotten enough questions about it now that I'm like, all right, I should, I should, <laughs> I should really compile some stuff nice. for, for the guys that, um, that are having issues. So hopefully that'll be up by the time this podcast comes out. If it's not, it'll be another week or two, but, um, and the book is coming sometime in the next couple of years, probably late next year. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, oh man, I'm sure you and I could probably have a long conversation about <laughs> it's a this. Slow, you gotta, it's a marathon, not a race. Exactly. So be patient. Exactly. But, but our listeners, you can, you can uh, book, bookmark uh, that. And they can start following you now and they'll find out when yes. it's ready. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right. Thank you. That's a wrap, everybody. Uh, as always, you can email us with your advice questions at heymanpod at gmail.com. Better yet, shoot us a voicemail, 917-426-4326. If you want to get your Instagram or Twitter on, we're at HeyManPod. And um, as always, we really appreciate if you would give us a review uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. It makes a big difference for us.